Hey everyone, welcome to Alumless. It's great to have you back. I am Ryan Catherwood. That gentleman on the other side of the screen, as you well know, is Chris Marshall. He is the founder, the CEO, the leader extraordinaire of CMAC, Chris Marshall Advancement Consulting. I love how you build it up like I have some legend or something. <laughs> Thank You're the you man, the myth, the legend, right? It's this. This is what we're doing here. We're 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 pumping up CMAC, right? Uh, we're, we're glad that you're joining us, though, for the pumping up of Chris Marshall, spending Friday with us. Thank, glad to have you. Uh, we have a great show for you today. We are not broadcasting live today, however, as you listen to this, I will be somewhere along the I-95 corridor in <laughs> spring break traffic hell, most likely, taking the family from Virginia down to Orlando for a Disney vacation which I'm a little apprehensive about. I am told that the Magic Kingdom is sold out during this trip, which is hard to fathom. I didn't realize that that was even possible. Uh, so it's definitely the busiest week of the year at Disney when it's already an extraordinarily busy place. So uh, Chris, I hope you'll be saying having me in your prayers as we tr attempt to lean into this trip. My kids and my wife never been to Disney before. I went there I went like 25 years ago as a teenager. So I kind of forget what it's all about. But remind um, the sure. audience, Ryan, how old your kids are? Yeah, my kids are 11, 8, and 3. So it's going to be a little bit challenging. We got two kids who can kind of do everything. And then one kid who can kind of do just the little kid rides. So we're just, I don't know, we're going to make do and try to have a good time. And, you know, uh, that's that's what it's all about. But make sure you take your son or all the older older kids on Guardians of the Galaxy. It's a pretty wild roller coaster, though. It may not be for you. Um, I've heard. And then, <laughs> and then the Avatar ride, which is like a simulator virtual reality thing. Those are two of like the across the four Disney parks are known. I think of the, the two that my my sister who loves Disney. So it's like you got to hit those two, right? If you're not yeah. going to do any of the others, you got to hit those two, which I'm going to do my best to do. But uh, well, we're so we're going to have I'm sure Dan Olds, our guest today, and Chris are going to be commenting in the stream as I am driving down 95 to say hello to everyone who's tuning in this week. Uh, Dan Olds is Vice President for Alumni Relations and Information Systems at Bowdoin College. And if you have any questions for Dan, uh, Chris, or myself, I probably won't be answering them at this moment in time, but Dan and Chris hopefully will. Uh, and of course, uh, please uh, download the podcast for the 30-minute bonus section with Dan, which we love to uh, we love to um, invite people to check out each and every edition of Alumless. All right, Chris. Well, since we met last uh, time for Alumless, we officially progressed into springtime. It's now April, and we are fast approaching the end of another academic year with really only another four weeks to go till exams. Looking back over the last year, I wanted to ask you, you know, what are some of the projects involving volunteer engagement that you've been working on that have been really memorable to you? Yeah, for those that are listening um, live to this first part, it's not April yet. It's March 31st. Ryan's jumping ahead to avoid thinking about his dr drive to Orlando. <laughs> That's but true. It's March <laughs> but uh, we're almost at April. April 1st, April Fool's Day. We should talk about the best April Fool's joke we pulled on anyone. Um, so this this is, I don't have a specific one, but there's a general sense that I'm seeing um, with multiple clients where they bring in a consultant to help them untangle a mess either they inherited or I've been you know, dealing with for some time where a board has leaned too far in. 
And I think of volunteer management is the art of understanding the, the balance between governance. It's the posture, I call it, the, the balancing governance and management. When a board leans too far in, they drive the staff nuts. When they lean too far back, they don't do anything and they get bored. And managing that proper middle line there. And I have three or four clients who are dealing with that right now where a board has leaned too far in, often often membership of the leadership of the executive committee who've leaned too far in, they're driving the staff nuts and they bring me in to be the bad guy. But it, it, what I see is it, the, the nice thing is I can go in and say to the board, to the staff, um, here's how it should be. And here's what you're doing right or wrong. And uh, I get to go home at night. I don't have to worry about what the, <laughs> what the board will say to me afterwards. It's, it's over. So yeah. I get, I get put in front as the shield sometimes like that, but I've come to enjoy it and it's good work. You know, it's interesting. I remember when I first started my last job, the board was causing me so much anxiety that I started meditating yeah, regularly. You told me that story. <laughs> yeah, story. it was like it was so challenging to deal with. And I actually just talked to someone last week, uh, you know, uh, someone in the alumni leader role who was really going through the same things uh, that you just described, which is yep. really a tough dynamic with a yep. board leaning too far in. So I think that's yep. accurate. Um, but this is the time of year. It's super busy. It's it's um, March Madness currently, but we're leading into the commencement run stretch. There's often big spring reunions planned as well. And it's budget planning time of year for the next academic year. What advice do you have for teams that are trying to tackle this stretch run? Well, especially in the context of budget planning, I would say this is that, you know, it's three words, less is more. Um, we, we do, you've heard me say this too many times on this show, Ryan, um, we do too much in our field. We, we, we spread ourselves so thin and we, we, we have staff who are every day feeling the brunt of that and don't have a chance to focus. And so less is more focus on the things that are most important. They're going to have the most impact and slow down the rest and apply that to reunion planning. I'd say the same exact thing hard to do because a reunion is one of those things that's been done a certain way forever. And you have a group of core group of alumni, your loyal, most enthusiastic alumni who are going to expect that when they come back to their next reunion. If you make any changes to it, it's hard. So, you know, but wherever you can focus on the yeah. most impactful things and trim out. We've seen that. We've seen that with a few partners as well, right? When they try to restructure some of those big tradition events, it really is, particularly with the older generation of alumni that, um, you know, always sort of are uh, against a lot of big changes. I think it's there's a contingent and it's not all the older alumni, but it is often the case yep. that yep. the contingent that is most concerned with change and how to go about sort of refreshing these traditions and making them more of a, a of sort of a modern modernization of these symbols yeah. and and um, do it in a way that meets the needs of everybody. It's a challenging thing about our work, right? Agreed, 100%. All right, well, let's bring Dan Olds into the conversation. Dan is is awesome. I've known Dan for years. I know you have too, and, and lots of folks that l listen to the show. I've met Dan, I'm sure, at Case and elsewhere. Here he is. Hello, Dan Olds. You're the man. Great to be here. Thank you for the this for you back here, man. <laughs> Thank you. Thank for you. those for those listeners who are listening to the podcast edition of Alumnus, Chris is pointing to a pennant behind him with the word with Bowden on it. Chris has a thing where he updates the pennant behind him, uh, contingent on who he is talking with at the time. It's a lovely, it's a lovely trick. It's very school spirity. I have I have a couple hundred pennants behind me on my other desk that I just switch out as I need this. 
It's a good strategy. Have you been, how long have you been doing that? Since I started, it came at the very beginning. I, I was on a, a UCLA's campus and I bought a pennant when I came home. Shout out to Julie Sina. And every time I've talked to Julie or her team, I've hang on, or a volunteer, I put UCLA behind me and that started it. And I just kept it going. And now all of a sudden I have 200 college pennants in my, my office. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. Well, we're glad to have Dan on with us yeah, today. Yeah, good to see you. Yeah, great to be here. We're going to uh, title Vice President of Alumni Relations and Information Systems, which is a new addition to your title over the last couple months. We're going to talk a little bit more about that in the bonus section of the show today. But mainly, we're going to frame our conversation around volunteer management today. It's a big topic. There's a lot to talk about when it comes to volunteer management and building a pipeline of volunteers. But I guess to get us started on the topic, Dan, what are some of the crucial pieces that you think need to be in place in order to develop a comprehensive alumni volunteer engagement strategy? Yeah, I think um, the first one is pretty obvious, but you know, it's really important is uh, what, what is the interest? <laughs> You know, if you're going to offer opportunities out to your community, um, you should have a sense of what people are interested in doing. Like, what will they find meaningful in their lives? Um, and that can, you know, take shape in a, a whole host of different ways. And once you kind of figure that out, you can have different channels of how alumni engage at, ultimately. And you can develop that over time. It's not a, uh, a static thing. It's definitely a dynamic part of any alumni engagement program. Um, and when you get it rolling, you have different options for people to enter that space. Um, and when I say enter the space, I think it's important to remember in our work that they may enter it when they are five years out of that university or college experience. They may re-enter again after their 30th reunion. Um, there's different entry points for people depending on what's happening in their lives and potentially their location. And uh, I think being cognizant of that helps to think about strategically how you can engage the, the larger body of alumni in volunteer opportunities and also think about new things as your, your alumni body changes over time. You, know, you always have the class years coming back in your various kind of reunion cycles, of course, um, but you know, people's you know, affinity changes over time. And from my experience, it typically gets stronger. And so recognizing that um, is really important in developing that piece of any alumni engagement strategy and specifically around your volunteers. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's, it's really interesting, too. And every university is different, right? Uh, Bowdoin is a great example of a school with strong class year affiliation. Uh, you know, everyone, uh, most everyone goes and completes their degree in four years, right? My alma mater, University of Richmond, Chris, your alma mater, Lehigh University, all examples of schools with really robust class year specific volunteer opportunities and emphasis. Uh, and But there are plenty of schools out there who, who have really struggle with that because, in fact, the majority of students don't graduate in those types of uh, sort of uh, set set piece set four year piece right is college it's it's much more different people coming and going and and so it's more challenging across the uh, the spectrum but I think you're right on the money now that you've been in your role at, at Bowdoin for about eight months uh, can you share a little bit about about the things that you've been working on and what your approach has been what you've learned so far about how alumni like to help out at Bowdoin 
Absolutely. I mean, you know, as you just uh, shared, Ryan, you know, Bowdoin has a really, really strong and historic um, connection to involving volunteers and in all of the programming that has taken place, even though it's changed over time in different ways. So, you know, a big piece, obviously, is just, you know, learning about those histories and histories of specific classes or initiatives that have gone on and have been sustained or have gone away. You know, just understanding the dynamics that have been here and how people want to engage, stay connected to the institution and, you know, offer their their, their time to, to support it. Um, and so outside of, of, of that learning, you know, I am in the middle of a strategic planning process with Chris Marshall. And so, you know, we've had amazing discussions with alums and, you know, I, I truly feel very lucky to come into a new role and part of my tasks in the first year is just to go through this process because we're sitting alums down and asking them lots of questions about, you know, you've been involved with Bowdoin for five or 50 years. <laughs> and, you know, what does this feel like to you now where we are, you know, post pandemic, like how have things changed for you? How have you seen your connection to your institution differently because of things that you've reflected on potentially during the pandemic, but definitely over the last five years? Um, and I, I think that gives real direction to how we think about things. And I think that people in general that I've interacted with in the alumni community um, have done a lot of thinking about it, which is super cool. Like, you know, they really have sat down and said, like, you know, this aspect of my connection to the institution meant a lot to me. And I want to explore that or amplify it in my life. And so how can the institution support me in doing that, whatever that looks like? So a lot of the strategic planning discussions that we're having right now with the alums is about that. You know, what, 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 what can we expand or grow building on the amazing foundation that's existed here for, for a long time and such a high engagement of our alumni over time at this institution? Yeah, talk about that a little bit. So yeah. for those that don't know Bowdoin College, and you should, uh, give us a quick institutional profile and talk about your alumni engagement a little bit and your giving and other. I mean, it's some amazing data, your stats you have there. Yeah. So, you know, Bowdoin has always had a very engaged population. And when I say that, um, you know, our aspiration is always to be around 50 percent or more of participation in, in the annual fund. Um, it's gone above that um, and has stayed above that for various number of years. But, you know, it's amazing that you have an institution that has kept up that attention and giving back and paying it forward mentality over the amount of time uh, this institution has existed. Um, another example of that, Chris, is, you know, we're currently ending our, our campaign, which I'm coming in at the end of, but we have an 85% engagement goal, you know, over the course of the campaign, yeah. we want to, you know, have a metric that 85% of our overall alumni population has connected with the institution in whatever way it made sense to them. And, you know, we're almost there. You know, I think we're probably around, you know, mid seventies right now. Um, you know, we definitely were at 70% earlier this year um, for the period of the campaign. And so it's just been exciting to think about that. And because we have that idea as part of our campaign, you know, we've been, looking at the people that aren't as connected and like, how do we reach out to them and give them openings to, to be part of it? And for some, you know, that could be multiple things for some, it's a small 
way in. It could be a micro-volunteering opportunity. It could be just coming to an event of a faculty member on campus and you know, listening to a, a conversation about a painting or a policy discussion could be a, a number of things that that, that could, you know, take the engagement for us. We're talking about uh, a alumni population of about 30,000 people. Is that the ballpark? Yeah, it's about 23,000. Oh, it's smaller than that. Wow, okay. Yeah, yeah, in, in total. Okay. And how well, many staff do you have? Someone's going to ask how many staff you have to do alumni engagement with 23,000 alumni. What's your staff number? Yeah, we have uh, eight staff that work on that work, and that includes um, a director of multicultural alumni engagement that is focusing on lifting up and elevating emerging affinity groups that we have, which are really new in the last 18 months. Um, Aspects of them have been around for for a number of years before that, um, being an inclusive place and thinking about how to grow that. We have a more formal structure and discussions and outreach happening right now in the last 18 months around, you know, getting more volunteer leadership and and developing, you know, roles to support that kind of conversation and support ways that those alums can connect back, especially with the students on campus. Yeah, it's been great stuff. Sorry, Ryan, I jumped on you there. No, no, no. It's um, it's great to follow up. I love thinking about you, know, you have a lot of I think a lot of people would envy your position, right, in terms of the loyalty and the engagement levels. But you also have an, a different challenge, which is, you know, the, if they're not engaged already, you know, why? Right. Uh, it feels like you're doing so much so much right. I mean, it seems like it would be potentially harder to get those people who are unengaged involved because um because so many, the culture of engagement is so strong, right? I don't know, just riffing here, but it feels like you might have a different challenge than other schools, right? I, I, I would agree with that. You know, to, to your point, I mean, you know, people love their homecomings and reunions and those traditional foundational programs. Um, and that, that exists here at Bowdoin. I mean, those are wonderful experiences for our alums. Um, but not everyone can get back, of course, and not everyone can attend, you know, if we do a regional event in their area all the time, you know, life happens. So, yeah. you know, we we want to find ways that they can, you know, one of the alums shared this term with me, they breathe in. How can they breathe into the institution and breathe out? <laughs> and I, I like that concept yeah. um, because yeah. it, it actually transcends, you know, being in a physical space, it transcends, um, you know, even a Zoom call. It's 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 something much bigger and greater than that. And uh, so I, I, I always lean on that, that idea on, you know, what can we do differently to, to help with that idea? I, I like that. So, so Chris, you've been working with Dan, of course, you work with other schools and lots of them. We talked about the 200 pennants behind you, uh, but what are the key differences between alumni volunteer engagement programs that have all the pieces figured out versus those that have a lot of work to do? Yeah, I would say that um, you look under the hood at any institution, no matter how big the staff or how small the alumni base or vice versa on that, and you look under the hood, there's going to be issues. And, and not everyone's got it figured out by far. Most people have some challenge in it. It's an area that I would say it's one of the front and center ones. So you, you, you see that issue come up quickly. And the old there's a saying that nature abhors a, abhors a vacuum where volunteers will fill the gap if you don't have a program or a system or an answer to whatever the issue is that they're facing. And um, so that's the place where, frankly, when you have problems with a board or a council, um, a consultant comes in and says, let me help you with it. Because when someone, remember that posture we're talking about? 
but someone leans in too far or leans too far back, that's where the issues come because there's either a vacuum or we filled it too much. We don't have enough for them to do. Um, I, I two sayings I like to share with, with clients. One, for a, the posture of the board, a good board should have their noses in, but their fingers out. And that's the line between governance and management. And that's talking about at a board of trustee level that applies, let alone an alumni board or alumni council. So noses in, fingers out. Even if you Google that term, you'll see all kinds of articles and writing about, you know, what, how far in a board member should be leaning on what's happening at an institution or in an alumni program. And the other saying I have is this, and I say that to board members, the first one, good board, noses in, fingers out. Um, get out of the business of Dan's work and let him do his job managing the organization. You, you help govern or advise. The other saying is to the staff members or to the Dan's of the world. I say to them, um, you get the board you deserve. And if you think about that long enough, if you're there eight months and you have a, you have a great alumni council, by the way. So let's, let's just turn that right at the gate. Um, and you have that because it, it's been that way and it was managed properly in, by your predecessors. But when, you, when anybody has a board that's driving them nuts, it's because you haven't managed it properly and you deserve it. If you work at it and anybody, anytime I find a good board, it's because of the leader, the Dan position, and often other members of the team have worked really hard at it. And when board meetings come up, it's it's more of a joyous thing. And oh my God, the board's coming this weekend thing. Um, when that happens, guess what? You get the board you deserve because you've worked at it and you can enjoy the relationship with those volunteers. So keep the vacuum, you know, uh, don't, don't have a vacuum is what the, the takeaway is on that one. Yeah, I remember, you know, the the dread that I had when I initially started with the board six years later, it was like, a, you know, breathing easy and, you know, looking forward to it and, and, and feeling positive about the camaraderie that the board members had together when they were visiting. But Dan, I thought, you know, to add to the conversation about your alumni council, talk just a little bit more about the goals you have for that crucial, super engaged group of alumni. But then also when you can follow that up with volunteer engagement strategy is more than than boards, right? It is more than whether it's a regional board or an alumni board or whatever it is. We need to have other ways that's not about a, being on a board for, for alumni to participate. And that's the way that we really scale volunteer opportunities, right? Because there's only so many positions right yeah on, on, on any given board right so how do you get the masses involved as volunteers would love to hear your thoughts on on both of those pieces yeah so related to the alumni council i mean i uh, chris just pointed out the, the, the fact that I, I i say to myself every day we have a really really great alumni council board and the council um really kind of leans in to supporting the students. Uh, I would say that's a, that's a top priority for them. You know, always thinking, you know, like how can we as a group, first and foremost, when we're on campus and we're thinking about things, you know, how can, how can we support those students and, and work with campus partners and with alumni relations to, to do that work? And then how do, we, how do we teach people on the council to, you know, expand their understanding of, of their role? And, uh, I can give you an example. Next week, we have our meeting um, with the Alumni Council, and uh, we're kicking it off with an hour and a half training on ways to think about intersectionality um, in, the, in the world today. And that's going to be led by several staff members and also facilitated by our Alumni Council president. Um, 
who was previously head of our DEIA committee on, on, on the council. So, um, and all council members are involved with that. It's just going to be a discussion and learning uh, to kick off the weekend together. And that's going to be a lot of fun. And I think people will come away with some deeper understanding in that space. Um, and then I would say later that day, just to give you another example, we're doing a joint um, event with our career development office here and inviting students in to speak with alumni council members and other volunteers, including our fund directors and some admissions volunteers about you know, what they're looking for in their career ahead or what's the next step even for them if they're going to graduate school. You know, Just basically a in-person mentoring slash career guidance activity that you know it's not a heavy lift for them. We're going to come up and make it very easy and we're going to sit down together and just Again, spending time face to face, and as they come back to campus, it's a really good use of their time. And you know, they come away with that as an alum having a meaningful connection to the, what's happening now on campus. And obviously, the students that join those kind of activities really see the path forward and understand there are volunteers that were students that are coming back to support them and help them and listen to them. You know, the listening piece is, is really critical. So. Um, I've enjoyed those kind of activities and we're going to continue to think about those and expand them or sustain those that we're doing right now in different ways. Yeah. That's great. So your second question was around thinking about strategies for letting volunteers in micro volunteering, however you would define that. Um, I, and I would say just the, one of the first things I noticed of working in this role, um, at Bowdoin is they do a really, really good job, the staff and our, you know, our, our alumni council members and other volunteers that we have in, in our in our community um, help out when we're doing events in various spaces. And I have been able to attend um, at least six uh, so far um, off campus, you know, away in different in different areas of the of the U.S. And um, part of that, we set up host committees, and we really try to engage that group in why we're doing this, the purpose. And our number one purpose for bringing people together on the, on the staff side is to recognize volunteers in the room. You know, we want that group to come together. We want them to have a good experience and connect and have that you know, social, social time with one another. But a key piece of it is also having this host committee, you know, also reach out to their networks where they're living, invite people there, come hang out, come spend time with the Bowdoin community. And during the event, we make a point to recognize them because I think it's very easy to have people involved in those things and not have them pointed out and recognized and celebrated with their peers because they should be celebrated. They're giving up their time to the institution to support this kind of activity. And ultimately what that led to, and I, in an example of in two of the cities I was just in, Chicago and Denver, you know, I have several people in the crowd speak to those volunteers and immediately they're like, how do I get involved with this? You know, where do I go to find out more? You know, it really was effective in translating what our volunteers are doing and above and beyond the digital space. Yes, you can go to a website, you can reach out, you can do all of those things. But that in-person connectivity um, I think is more valuable than ever as people come away from what they were doing during the pandemic and in the world we live in now, where from my experience, I'm meeting lots of alums that live in cities, but actually don't work for companies in those cities. 
You know, those alums may work in, you know, hubs like New York, in Los Angeles, in San Francisco, but they may live in Denver, in Maine or Massachusetts. So the idea of what their community has become has become very different. And so the value of that connection and understanding while we're together and recognizing the volunteers has become tantamount. And um, I, I just really appreciated seeing it take shape this year. Chris, I wanted to tee you up to sort of chat a little bit about what you've noticed about uh, working with with Dan and the team at Bowdoin and and their volunteer strategy. Dan just shared a lot of great uh, insights yeah. into what they're doing and how he's thinking about it. I know we're bumping up against our, our first half hour time, so I'll tell you two quick things. One, the work that Jocelyn doing, your colleague um, Dan um, on the Identity Affinity Group has been a game changer for Bowdoin. They have a it's a northeast liberal arts institution that had, was all male for a big part of its history. And, you know, diversity has increased over the time, but in recent years, it's gone off the charts. So you have a young or younger recent alumni base that is much more diverse than the traditional base. And the work that Jocelyn's done, it had started previously, but Jocelyn came in and just you know, shouted off the charts. It's been amazing to see. And the volunteers that are stepping up to support those identity groups is just Un, un, unbelievable. I love everything she's done there. And the second one was actually isn't really a Dan thing, not even your predecessor, Dan. One of the things I've been most impressed of with at Bowdoin is the boot camp work, which really comes out of the career office there. What do you guys call it at Bowdoin? It's called the sophomore boot camp. You know, the, 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 the office that does career services at Bowdoin is called career uh, exploration. Something? Yeah, we call it CXD. Yeah, career expert exploration. But we, we the definition is CXD for all the students. So that's got, what we, it, got it. Yeah. But but it's a it's an event that happens in the right after winter break of the sophomore year. It started off as a volunteer activity and now all all sophomores come back for a week long immersion in life after Bowdoin. What does it mean for me? And they bring alumni in to talk yeah. about grad school, career, yeah. pathing, pathways and journeys. And Dan's team now provides a lot of support in helping get the alumni there, obviously, but it's just a go Google Bowdoin bootcamp and read about yeah. it. And if you're listening to this, you will be glad you did. It's an amazing example. Yeah. And I remember here. Was ahead, say that, that bootcamp, you know, that, that brings around, you know, 20, 22 alums on campus, but over 400, uh, I think the number was 417 uh, participate digitally with students during amazing. that period of time. Yeah. It's really cool. Really cool. I love it. Uh, well, we're bumping up against our first half hour, Chris, as you pointed out. We love to tease our next alumless guest, and we have a special episode coming up. Not to say that Dan is not special, and all of our episodes have not have been special, of course, but this one is special because... Well, it's our one-year anniversary of Alumnus. Um, Hard to believe. What, what, what episode number are we on? I know we skipped a few around holidays, so it's like 20. Yeah. We're at 20. This is our 22nd episode here. 22nd with Dan. episode. Yeah. So we didn't get every other week like we would in a full year. But So it's our one-year anniversary. And and to celebrate that, I've asked a very special guest to join us. Um, she she is a volunteer leader, actually. So she's on the other side, of the not on the staff. It was our first non-staff member joining us. And she happens to be a two-time Olympic gold medalist. And she's the chair of the volunteer organization called USOPA, United States Olympic and Paralympic Association. So we're going to have a really special conversation with a very unique group of alumni. Those that were Olympians and Paralympians are a client of mine. I've been working with them on building out a new strategy for their overall operation. And Karin Davies, she's a Harvard and Columbia grad, 
a rower, a two-time, uh, three-time Olympian, and um, two-time Olympic gold medalist. So pretty cool guest coming up. Yeah, I love how we're going to try to connect alumni-ness with, you know, a membership of an association, right? A, a different type of organization from a college or university altogether. And I think there's an opportunity to explore alumni-ness across different uh, yeah. sectors, right? Yeah, and cool. it's, a, it's a really interesting project you've been working on. All right. Well, thank you for joining us. And uh, we are going to find a quiet Zoom room and record our second half hour with Dan Olds to publish on the podcast. We'll be back in two weeks with Karin. And uh, have a great weekend, everybody. Bye thank now. Thank you, Dan. Great job. Thank you, everyone. All right. We are back with Chris Marshall, Dan Olds from Bowdoin College, Vice President of Alumni Relations and Information Systems. And we'll pick up the conversation where we left off in the live version of the show. But um, Dan, I thought it would be good to talk a little bit about the information systems piece of your <laughs> title, which I think is really interesting. And there really aren't too many other folks in our space that have the sort of background whereby a leader, the advancement leader might say, hey, Alumni leader, you want to, you should lead the information systems component of advancement as well. Uh, but I thought maybe you could share a little bit about how that came to be and how you're thinking about that component of your role. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy to, Ryan. Um, and, and very quickly, I mean, I think I came into this role right now in the way that it was added on. Um, because uh, for 20 years, I worked in international education for an international nonprofit. We had 52 offices around the world, you know, a staff of uh, 800 plus. And we had a very, very uh, robust <laughs> information systems network and um, staff members that supported that. So I did a lot of work with those partners leading up to kind of diving in and taking it into my next role at Colby College. And, you know, I was a director of uh, alumni programs there um, initially, and then that led to eventually being the uh, assistant vice president for ad advancement operations and alumni programs. So I kind of absorbed that into addition of doing my alumni work there. And oversaw that team, um, which was a you know a big team um, of eleven people, and I just started to go into that space. I mean, I interface with that group all the time, right? We, you know, for data, for lists, for emails, for uh, you know launching new programs and portals. You know, so I spent a lot of time with them on the things related to alumni. So it was natural for me to start working with them in that way when the opportunity uh, occurred. And, you know, my uh, former vice president um, at Colby thought it would be a great opportunity for me to, to grow um, as an advancement professional. So, you know, I did that for a few years at Colby. Um, and then prior to Bowdoin, I was down um, at Queens University of Charlotte as the associate vice president for development. And there I also oversaw advancement operations um, and, you know, major gifts and, you know, and institutional research as well, excuse me, not institutional research, but prospect research. Um, and so uh, that was a different, a different beast where we were going into implementing tool for advancement. And I spent a lot of time <laughs> with a very lean shop 
trying to talk through what that would be and the different steps involved. And so I learned a great deal through that process. And, and, and prior to that at Colby, you know, I was involved in the RE NXT implementation. So I just have been kind of pulled into those spaces through my work. And so an opportunity at, at, at Bowdoin happened that, you know, I, I, you know, I started only eight months ago, but we had a, a slight change in our, our leadership structure and, you know, our senior vice president reached out to me and she said, you know, we could try to hire for this skill set, but you have done that work in two other places. So it kind of makes sense if you're interested and willing to consider kind of building a partnership and, and implementing that um, in your current role, but adding that to that as another team. And there are pros and cons to that. And uh when we talked about it and, you know, it ultimately leaned very positive for so many reasons um, of our work and advancement. Um, and that really started this month. So it's, it's, it's new to me and uh, I'm not new to the staff, obviously, but it's, my role is new to them. And it's been great because I think they have never had an alumni relations partner that knows the depth of their work that like I do and just through experience and, you know, I've been deep in database discussions and transitions and implementing new tools and, and the ramifications of doing so across the information systems ecosystems that our advancement group has and those connections back to the college itself. So that, that's really kind of how it came about. And, um, and I like it. You know, it, it's, a, it's a different part of my role, but it connects so directly to our work, you know, with our reliance on data and lists and tools and evolving tools we might even consider in the future. Uh, I, I think it's fantastic. I think, you know, your background is so is really unique in, in our space. And I'm glad that the opportunity to sort of build upon your, your background from Colby and then Queens uh, and now at Bowdoin has, has proven to be, um, you know, more and more responsibility, but yet you're, you're going to be deeper and in the weeds and all these really important decisions about the growth of the program there and the entire advancement operation. Yes. Uh, I think it's exciting. Sort of continuing down the, the same path on the subject of information systems a bit more. What do you sort of see as the necessary technological components of a modern engagement strategy and, and what, what's changed and where are we headed? Yeah, that's 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 the the big question for all of us, right? As you know, um, you know, I I think where I've gone, and you know, and I you know implemented you know systems. Now I'm thinking when I first started doing that, that was in 2012 when I really got involved in kind of systems implementation and thinking about alumni portals and directories and all of that world of engagement um, and how that's much has evolved over time. And you know, I th I think at the core of it, you have to know what works for your constituents. And I think different institutions should think about that as they consider what tools make sense for them. Um, you know, I was um, thinking about, actually, I was thinking about the recent post that you had, Ryan, <laughs> about the, the mirage of online communities. And um, yeah. and uh, a great post, really, really love Thank reading you. that. And, and, I, and I, I think that that's one example of you 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 should have enough input, whether it's through your volunteers or your alumni or potentially your students that are in certain technologies to understand at some level, is this something that they're going to use in their lives? Like, does it make a difference to them in their day to day? It doesn't have to make a difference to all of them, 
but it has to make a big enough a difference that it's not something that people just critique versus just use. <laughs> we say that. And, uh, you know, in this day and age with people downloading various apps and programs uh, every day or deleting them, um, you know, you have to be really cognizant of that as you think about what, what makes sense and what is useful. And that means what is useful to your audience at the end of the day. Um, there's lots of things that can be useful to staff at any institution, but at, at the end of the day, you have the audience that you have to consider first and foremost in that in that discussion and, and, and process that you go through. So um, I think in the, in the various tools, I mean, I, I see, you know, real value in bringing connections that are, that are more real and deeper. And that includes ways to communicate um, in-person experiences, of course, but, you know, uh, the use of video, you know, I think is just so prevalent with everything these days and thinking about ways that you can do that in sustainable ways is, is, is really important. You know, I think some institutions have, you know, uh, you know, a large uh, production budget and can, you know, produce amazing video content. Like I've seen amazing stuff out there. But, you know, it doesn't always just come to the budget. Um, you know, I'd use the example, uh, a really engaging thing that happened at Queen's University of Charlotte and continues to happen was their use of uh, Give Campus for fundraising for their athletics programs. And, you know, we produced a video for that that engaged all the coaches, students, and faculty in some cases. And I think the act of doing that, you know, had a very different impact on the engagement they were getting. Of course, from, you know, the coaches and students and alumni that, you know, react to that, of course. So, like, that's the core group. But actually, it also impacted folks that weren't athletes. It also impacted students that weren't athletes because they all saw it or they saw their friends involved in that process. And then they saw, you know, how alums and donors in the community were giving back through that and making comments and just showing their support um, through that, that vehicle. And to me, that was new to kind of see it all work together like that um, was, was, was pretty magical. And so it worked really well for that institution. It might not work for every institution, but it, it definitely worked well for that institution. Um, so Fine. when I think about different tools, it's it, it, again, what is useful to your audience at the end of the day and what excites them? What, what makes a student excited to be part of it? Like at the end of the day, because it, it, it's ultimately it's helping to support their experience in some way. So I think that that's key to think about. Yeah. I'm with you. Great insights, Dan, all the way across the board there. Ryan, I want to jump back to some strategic planning thinking with um, Dan. We've been working on this as recently as this morning, as this recording. We've been spending a couple of hours on this yeah. topic. And um, Dan, we've been doing this now since the fall, and it's evolved in really interesting ways. And I'm curious to see what stands out to you. What were the high points or low points? Any frustrations? I'd love to hear that. But um, you know, anything surprised you along the way in this journey? Yeah. Um, I mean, I think, you know, as we've worked with different groups for the focus groups and obviously through the task force for our, you know, nine hours of initial meetings that we had to kind of distill, you know, where we were going, um, you know, it's just apparent to me there's, there is a core, at least at this institution, I wouldn't say it's the same for every institution because we are a liberal arts school, we have a small student body, uh, but the commonality that ran through that thread 
Um, no matter how people defined it or bantered with one another about certain words we're using or, or concepts, um, there's such a deep thread that they fall back on. Um, and so I think a lot of alumni engagement work is about just amplifying whatever that thread is mm. because we can't recreate that thread for a lot of them. That thread existed before we started inviting them to be a volunteer that thread, you know, was built on that time they had on the field or in the pool. That thread was built when they were on stage. And understanding that, that they had those different experiences and letting them talk about it with another. And at least in our case, them respecting and loving hearing about the different experiences of their peers, despite the fact they have this common thread, is what energizes that, that group. Like, you know, any of the volunteer groups that we uh, had participate so far. So that was surprising to me. Like, it, you know, I was, it was interested that it, they debated things a lot, but at the end of the day, there are these core fundamental experiences that ultimately they all would come back to like transformed them as a human being. Like it, go, it went that deep. That was surprising to me. And what, one of the things I've liked, I've done 60 of these. One of the things I really liked is that you've worked really hard on making it uniquely Bowdoin and what you're creating. It's got a lot of Bowdoin flavor throughout values, vision, and mission. It's, it's, it cannot, you could not take this and plop it down somewhere else and say it could apply there because it's, it's all about Bowdoin. I love that part of it. Any thoughts on that? Have you felt the same? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, the, the, the identity and the affinity of Bowdoin alums is, is special and unique. You know, they, there are certain things of their experience and post experience where, you know, there's just such an amazing connection and family feel that they truly have with one another. Um, and, you know, as we've been talking about, there's this, this humbleness and warmth, you know, across the campus. And this, this is what our alums share back with the students all the time. They're like, you know, trust us that, you know, you're going through your experience now, but, this, you'll, you'll, you're going to feel this like, you know, a fire in the fireplace after you leave it, that, that, that bone, when your bones are chilled, at least in Maine, when they are, um, <laughs> and you're, you're sitting by the fire and you leave and you have that, like, oh, I feel so warm inside, like, and it lasts, even though you're not sitting next to that fire anymore. That to me is what I feel um, at, at Bowdoin. And, and, and what the alums really want the students to also recognize that they feel in their lives. They want to translate that to them because that's what makes it special to them. It, you, you talk about it like you're a Bowdoin alum, but <laughs> you know that you're a Denison alum, which has some similarities. I mean, in terms of the passion people feel for that place as well. So, yes. Now I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you to take your Bowdoin hat off and be an alumni engagement professional here, okay. just industry wide, and 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 share with the audience kind of what you think's coming. Where are we headed? What's next? What's up on the you know, the trends in our business and where, where the, where the industry is going to be five, 10 years from now. Yeah. I, th I think there's going to be more um, thinking around, uh, you know, whether you call it micro volunteering or something else, there's something about just giving people the opportunity to feel like they're paying it forward. Right. And that can mean a lot of things to a lot of different people. I, I, and I get that, but it's 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 what are you creating to do that? What what is the what's the vehicles that you are creating to do that? Um, which are going to be very different for alums that are graduating this year, the next year, and and four years from now. 
Um, and we see that all the time. You know, what, what, what's energizing to them, you know, where, where many of them don't understand, you know, engagement in philanthropy yet um, or coming into it in, in, their, in their junior or senior years of their experience here um, on campus. I, I think it's just respecting that and leaning into it as much as possible. Like what energizes them when they leave campus, knowing that their connections um, to their class will be different from those that are in their 25th, 45th, 50th reunions like we have here, knowing that they're, and I, I felt this very strongly, knowing that, that they're living in places where they might not have a lot of physical connection because they don't work in offices. <laughs> yeah, that's a big thing. Right? And that has really stuck out to me when I meet, you know, I, I had a great conversation with a, an alum that is part of our uh, Asian affinity group. And she said, yeah, I live in Boston, but, you know, I work from my apartment and I really don't know a lot of people outside of that and in her church in that example. But what was interesting is that she wanted to be engaged with us and her community because of that. That is exactly why she's just like, I don't get to see people face to face a lot. And the fact that you're going to offer something for me to do that is what I want in my life, because I know there's this common thread or this foundation where we're going to have a good conversation and we're going to hang out and enjoy each other's company at the end of the day. Yeah. Um, and that was really important. You know, on the professional side, they had lots of outlets, but it was really that personal fundamental need to connect and how we can amplify that for, for, for that particular alum. Yeah, community building in the age post pandemic, uh, an interesting thing to think about in terms of volunteer roles. And what, well, let me share with the audience a little bit, brag about you guys, because you did something really cool coming out of the strategic plan. You, 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 we've held now as of last this week, we finished the last one, 11 focus groups, asking people to share their thoughts on various parts of the work we've done. And you put together um, been fascinating discussions. Everything, every time we go through one, we learn more and we get better, right? But the, I've heard you tell the story to other focus groups. We did one with students, and it was yes. a really cool takeaway from that group of what yeah. they thought about, you know, putting on the alumni hat for a second. And they actually got there and said some really cool things. Tell, tell the audience the story yeah. you shared. Yeah, that, that was a moment of magic. And Chris, yeah. unfortunately, you signed off, so you didn't experience it as well. But that, that was because it ended and people were getting up. So, you know, Chris and I were running a focus group with the students, going through the typical questions we've been asking around the future of alumni engagement at, at Bowdoin and, you know, things they wanted to see in the vision, values, and mission and priorities moving forward. And you know, we ended that formal part of the meeting. We shut off the Zoom. <laughs> Everyone's like getting their backpack, getting their jacket and standing up. And and the student next to me, she out of nowhere said, wow. She's like, I'm really, really excited to be an alum. Like just kind of like it was in her mind. It was just, she was mulling it over as she stood up. And then the head of the student government said, yeah, like, this is great. Like, like, I can't wait to learn more about all of these things. And then there was just comments around that room of students that had, you know, takeaways that, you know, were not prompted, totally unprompted. And just because of the conversation. And to me, that was like, that that right there is magic we need to capture and do again and again and again. <laughs> yeah, it was like a, like a light bulb went on about life after Bowdoin for them as an alum, what it means and that happened in that meeting, it sounds like. Yeah, because we, we, we brought them in to think about it and let them in the wonder space in their minds and the fact that there is this network and this net of people that are out there 
and they can utilize it or not. They can be a part of that community as much or as little as they want. And that was something that just really never occurred to them until we had that conversation. So we had a conversation following that epiphany that, you know, we should do these small, informal, just almost open house kind of things where it's not a PowerPoint (laughs) on a screen or anything like that. You know, we might have a handout, but something that just invites them into our space. And we're inviting them to, to sit there and think about, you know, we can't wait to have you in the alumni community because there's just so much there for you. And whether you, it's the year after you graduate or you're coming back to your 50th reunion, there's this community that is welcoming, they will stay connected and they support one another. And that was really exciting to them. Love it. I can I can see Dan sitting in front of a fireplace at Bowdoin, <laughs> students all around facilitating fireside chats. Reading the night before Christmas, the oh, night before oh, commencement, <laughs> all through the yard. <laughs> I think it's great though, because and your great point is that we we don't spend the time talking about alumniness to students. Yes, yep. and and we often don't even use the word alumni very often to yeah. to let them know that you know we talk about graduation and things of that nature, but we really don't talk to students about the opportunity that they will have and how much value there is for them to be looking forward to. Right. And uh, it's a a great thing that you're doing. I think it would love to hear down the road about you experimenting with those, with those types of focus groups in whatever form they come, because I bet it will be really impactful. Those students will tell other students and um, it'll, it'll be uh, a great catalyst for hopefully for participation over the long run. Absolutely. And I would just add, you know, the reason, again, that that conversation was even possible or made sense was because on that strategic planning task force that, you know, Chris was helping to facilitate us through, you know, we had our partners in the room with us and it just naturally unfolded to that, right? Because that was a focus group as a, as, a, as a part of our process. But that partnership that we have now across campus has been built much stronger, especially for me as a new leader in ways that I would have never imagined, you know, like we have a common ground and we're like in regular touch with one another without having me have been here for, you know, eight months. Like I've only been here for eight months. So um, that's, that's been fantastic for me personally. That sounds really like a really rewarding experience. Uh, And I'm sure, you know, you've been there for eight months and you're, you're learning a lot still. You're going through the strategic planning process with Chris uh, but we love to offer our audience, our listeners, with some real thoughts on tough decisions that alumni leaders have had to make as they've entered new jobs or have gone through process or are trying to evolve the program for the future. Is there any sort of uh, narratives that you could share about tough decisions that you've had to make so far? And in order to start something new, you often have to stop something else. Yes. Um and I think it's still a process of a, of a decision. That, tough would be a strong word for it. But, you know, the idea, as we kind of talked about earlier in the podcast, about this different access points for alums and, you know, in traditional programs like what we have, you know, you focus on the biggest alumni markets because you have the most people in those spaces. But, you know, what about the folks that don't have the ability to connect or drive to if you're doing an event in a city um, don't come back to campus just because of distance, you know, all of the barriers that we expect, you know, how can we lean in and allow people to, you know, connect with people around them or help them even know about people that live around them in some cases. Um, so an example of that, at least a, 
I would say it's more of a pilot. You know, we're gonna we're starting with our recent alumni, and uh, for this, we're gonna begin it in April. At least we're gonna you know send the word out, and we've developed a a box of you know great items, or frisbee banners, that kind of thing for young alums. And our goal is to be very inclusive with that with that population and say, hey, we know that you're busy. You may not live in the place you work. You may not know, you know, other Bowdoin alums in your area yet, um, but we're going to give you an opportunity to try to bring people together. So if you raise your hand and you want to say, hey, I'd like to have a group of 10 people over to my apartment, um, get in contact with us. We'll, we'll talk about how to do that. And we'll send you some things that, you know, you can have on your table and celebrate with, 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 with folks um, that you, you may already know, but, you know, it could be people that you don't know and we'll help you, you know, figure that out along the way. So again, helping them to create these local networks of community uh, in celebration of both. And we've been working on that project and designs for it. And uh, that will launch in April. Um, and it's a hard decision because the, the flip side of that decision was we can run X amount of these type of events and fly to those places and do that. So yeah. we could do that. And we, we, we do that in addition to what I'm talking about. But in this spring, should we try something new? Should we pivot instead of just going to that, which we know will get people, we know it'll be a, a great experience for everyone. Let's try to expand the pot. You know, maybe we can connect with people in Hawaii and Alaska or, you know, the other edges of California outside of the major cities that really would love a way to kind of lean in and have a deeper connection with at least one other person from Bone. It doesn't even have to be a big group. It, you know, it could be that small, but, you know, again, we're offering something out to them. And if they want to do that, it's there for them. They can lean into it. And um, it's been, that was a hard decision initially. Like, 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 should we not do X to do this? Um, because the, the budgeting for each of those is similar. And we went that way. And if it works in the way we hope, you know, we'll continue that and maybe amplify it in a couple of different ways. So again, yeah, experimentation and piloting things, I think are absolutely necessary for any organization to grow. And it works especially well for alumni relations. If you don't try new things um, and have a little bit of, you know, hard decision-making, um, you know, you will never know what people really grab onto. Like you just assume there's a lot of assumptions and you obviously want to move above, that, that, above and beyond. That right there, what you just said at the end, such a great message to be willing to experiment and try new things. And, and at the end of that, you didn't say it, but I know you mean it, which is and be okay with failing. If it doesn't work out, you move on and you learn. That's the best part about that. And the example you gave, Dan, is a really interesting one because I think more and more teams will try to head this direction. And one of the interesting aspects is how do you support that with outreach goals? Meaning, do you need to find the people to have the events, right? Uh, in order to sort of grow the program, or can you be reliant on simply people who say, oh, well, I heard Bowdoin will do this. And so I want to take advantage of it. Is there a is there an outreach strategy to be had that sort of convinces folks to have those sorts of events. Um, interesting, but um, and, and and then, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead, Ryan. Well, the last question sort of maybe dovetails to your follow-up thought, which is the question of time. Uh, we often measure engagement, volunteerism around, you know, participation, but we often don't think in terms of time. And I was wondering, are you thinking about time, these volunteers that are they're putting in time to produce these different types of events in their communities? 
Uh, maybe you can sort of share what your follow-up thought there, but then how you're thinking about time as a, as a commitment from alumni. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that's the reason you have different opportunities, right? Like, you know, someone that is nominated and says yes to be on the alumni council for, in our case, that's a four-year commitment. And in our case, it also includes travel to campus. So like it's an immense amount of time and an immense amount um, of, of resources for any alum to take part in. And so, you know, that they have to know they're that committed and want to be that involved um, at that level. Um, you know, when we were talking about the, the example that I just was sharing, the, the time can be very minimal. And the thing that we get excited is that we see that kind of activity happen already without our involvement, which is great. So how can we add in and lean into activity that's already happening? You know, how can we make it better for them that do want to do these things or their peers are doing it in their classes? And, you know, for us, it's, you know, weddings, like, especially in Maine, like a lot of uh, alums, you know, come back and get married um, in Maine, you know, whether they live here or not, you know, they might come up here and get married. And so when they're in that stage of their life. And so are there ways outside of that monumental moment in their class that we can, we can help with that kind of thing. Um, and we, we tested it. Here's the other thing, you know, we tested it with, again, volunteers on our alumni council and, and, and other volunteers about would that, would, would that be interesting to them? Would they know their peers that might want to kind of take us up on that opportunity? And they're like, yeah, yeah. Any, any addition to what's happening it would be great. You know, it, it, there, there's no reason because some people won't pay any attention to it. Others will be like, wow, it's awesome. Like I'll, I'll, I'll get 10 people from Bowdoin over to my apartment, you know, and we can celebrate, you know, our different experiences there or, you know, collective experiences, whatever it might be. So again, we're, we're leading into the, again, that foundation in our case where people really love the place and there's a sense of place and it, it transformed them. So we're building upon that idea. Awesome. Well, our, our producer is telling me that it's about time to wrap up this episode. And at the, at the end of our every episode, we love to ask uh, the question about inspiration, you know, whether it's on the personal side of your life, Dan, or the professional side of your life. Uh, how do you stay inspired to do what you do? Where should others look for inspiration? Absolutely. I mean, for me, inspiration, um, it, it comes fairly easily because I've been involved in education, not necessarily in, in higher ed working on campuses, but, um, you know, for me, a faculty member told me to go study in another country and that changed my life. And that was in a liberal arts context. And that really set the trajectory for me. And I was like, I really want to be involved in education and socially oriented organizations that work with people and elevate people in whatever ways that they might do that. Um, so my inspiration is, you know, I see the alumni here and their number one thing they love doing is finding ways to pay it forward with their students that are here now. And that's inspiring. You know, at the end of the day, again, you talk about time, people have a lot of opportunities to do a lot of different things in their lives. People that are giving up, you know, their time, you know, their treasure and, you know, their wisdom back to students. And that's why they stay involved. That's amazing. And that's inspiring. And, and I just love the students as a result because they soak it in. You can see them 
so thankful that they're getting this piece of an education. It's not, it's not in their textbook. It's not on the screen. It's like, there's this education piece that they didn't really think about going into college and they're receiving and they're growing as part of that. And that's inspiring for me. I love, I love how the students get impacted by alumni involvement and hopefully later down the line, they pay it forward and do the same thing for groups of students when they're out and able to do that. Awesome. Well, you're an inspiring guy yourself, Dan. I'm, I'm, you did a great job today on Alumnus, and um, I'm sure that uh, your alumni at Bowdoin are uh, increasingly inspired by all the great stuff that you all are doing there. Chris, any final thoughts for us before we uh, hit the road for today? Just a big thank you to Dan, and I know your staff and maybe even some of your council members will listen to this, and they should be proud to have you as their leader. So well done, Dan. Thank you. Well, well, thank you. I, I'm, I'm lucky to, to be connected to all of them because this is a special place and uh, they are a great group of, of alums no matter where they are in the world. So uh, thank you for inviting me. You bet. All right. Well, we will be back in your feed in a couple weeks time. But until then, I'm Ryan. That's Chris for Dan. We're signing off for today. Thanks for listening to Alumless. Till next time. Thank you. Thank you.